Hey everybody, welcome into Four Down Territory. I am Kyle Madsen, the managing editor of NinersWire.com, part of USA Today's sports media group. Joining me, as always, is Doug Farrar, the managing editor of TouchdownWire.com. I can't believe we're in week 14 already. We are. It feels like... This was contributed to apparently Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath was at the Raiders game yesterday, and somebody cut a picture of him and he immediately did the, the horns. Like, Geezer, we love you. That then you know what that makes the Raiders' loss even more shameful. Silver and Black Sabbath. There you go. Nice, dude. That sounds. That's a great podcast name. You should start it. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we, yeah. I want to do a music podcast. Maybe that's the title. Silver and Black. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I love. I love that. That's perfect. Trademark that. Let's get it rolling, Chris. Mark that down, and we'll do a whole yep. thing. All right. So I have more on that Raiders game from this weekend yes, coming up in a bit. I'm I'm just I, well I'll, I'll I was so pissed when he kicked that field goal. <laughs> like why? Well, it should be a zero zero game, well, but anyway, well, I don't want to I don't want to spoil it. We'll deep dive on on was, the funniest football game of the year. Uh, but let's, a waste. Let's get to first down here. Uh, what did you- nobody cares about three to nothing? Nothing to nothing. People will talk about that. It'll be like the Canarius Tony play that never happened. It was such a letdown, right? Fifty years and then. Pfft, there's a lot of that this week. Yeah, anyway, such a such a letdown. All right, I digress. Uh, a couple of teams who who did not suffer bad losses: the Browns and Bengals, and they keep winning with backup quarterbacks or backup 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 quarterbacks. Uh, so, what did Joe Flacco and Jake Browning, the Ohio backup quarterbacks, tell us about quarterback evaluation? Yeah, Flacco was sitting on his mom's couch watching ball and auditioning for Inside the NFL and failing, and now he's looking insane, falling out again. So um. Insane. Yeah, I think sometimes it helps coaches to reset with a new quarterback, simplify and tailor a game plan to the new guy. In Browning's case, Bengals head coach Zach Taylor and his staff are leaning on more play action, pre-snap motion. Gives Browning more defined concepts, better pre-snap indicators regarding, you know, is it man or zone? And Joe Burrow didn't seem to want or need either of those things. The Bengals would have used more of it when he was on the field. But in weeks one through 10 with Burrow, the Bengals ranked 23rd in dropbacks of pre-snap motion. Since then, they ranked 12th. They ranked 22nd and dropped back to play action. Since then, they ranked 17th. They ranked 30th in passing snaps under center through week 10. Since then, they ranked 17th. So Browning has the awareness under pressure, ability to make stick throws downfield with the right concepts and players around him, which he has. In Flacco's case, I think the head coach, Kevin Stefanski, the Browns needed a calm veteran voice who would take his offense to the field. It's a highly defined system. Stefanski would rather have someone who adheres to it. Uh, as opposed to someone who's going to go off script. It's kind of like a, a low-rent Kyle Shanahan, basically. He wants an interpreter, right. or he wants a, a you know, a guy who will repeat the design. I don't want you to interpret this. It's perfect as it is. Just go do it. Uh, one of the reasons Deshaun Watson was such a catastrophe uh, for the team, one of like five bazillion reasons, uh, he's not really that kind of quarterback. When Watson was good, he was more prone to play outside of structure. Flacco will play the hits all day long, and that's what Stefanski wants. He has him making stick throws out of boot action at 38, 39 on January 16th, I believe, hitting the schemed open receivers in time and on target, and that's all you need here. It's like you know when Kyle Shanahan, back with the Falcons, taught Matt Ryan how to run boot, and we all went, Matt Ryan can run boot? What the heck? And there it was. So you don't need fireworks. You've had enough of them at the position. Uh, Flacco can provide what his team needs because of his experience. He's also showing far more in the tank than he ever did with the Jets, which raises all kinds of Jets questions that have already been raised. Yeah. Uh, regarding quarterback evaluation, we could go three hours on that subject. Yeah. And as the draft comes closer, we probably will. 
But it's clear to me that both of these coaching staffs have merged what both quarterbacks like and what they're good at within the system. And it seems obvious, but you and I both know how often that doesn't happen, even in crucibles where you have to have a, like you have a few days to get a new guy on the field and you just go bonk. I'm going to superimpose my system on you, whether it works or not. We see how that goes. Um, I will also say, and this is especially true in Flacco's case. If you have a quarterback who doesn't engender belief in the locker room, which Flacco clearly has, Mm -hmm. you are hosed. I don't care how good the guy is. It is a more important quality for quarterbacks than it is for any other player in any other sport. And these guys have both made their teams believe. So it, you know, it all comes together. Yeah. I think with the Browns and Flacco, Flacco is the, by far the most accomplished quarterback that they've had in that building, even including Deshaun Watson. And I think that, that team knows that with their defense, the bar for quarterback play is so low. Yeah. And Joe Flacco. The best quarterback they've had since like Bernie Kosar. Yeah. yeah. And and Flacco clears the very low bar that, that has been set, which is why I think he engenders that belief. And then Jake Browning, it's a guy who's just grinded through everything, like not even getting a ton of reps in training camps and preseasons because he's so far down on the totem pole. And yet he's just there, just grinding away and, uh, you know, guys will will back a player that they see coming into the building and, and working his tail off, even though he's probably not going to get any kind of significant work. So um, I get respect. I, I 100% agree with, with what you said about how coaches handle backup quarterbacks. Now they've gotten so much smarter about quarterback utilization. And instead of trying to shoehorn quarterbacks into a system that doesn't really play to that quarterback strengths, they find out what the quarterback likes, what they're good at, and they craft offensive attacks that, that marry those things together. And I know that sounds like obvious, like why wouldn't you do that? But it's not always been the case necessarily. In fact, I have this like working theory that obviously could never be proven, but I would love to take a guy like Michael Vick or Cam Newton, or uh, not that those were bad players, but I would love to see them just pick them up as rookies and drop them into the sport now, where coaches are so much better. I would love to see is Randall Cunningham. Oh my God. Another great one. Just uh, there are so many players that we could, I mean, you could run down a list of, of quarterbacks who didn't live up to the hype because they had coaches that were trying to shoehorn them into a system that, that didn't fit their strengths. And well, you also had the schism, the 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 bias against black quarterbacks that they're not as intelligent, which a lot of people in the league believed. Right. And you have the we don't like mobile quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone going back to like Len Dawson and Fran Tarkenton had that. Yeah. So guys like Cunningham and Vic, and you know, all the way up to Lamar, you should switch to wide receiver, which Bill Polian later had to apologize for. So yeah, I mean, we're we're going off a track here, but it's an, it's an important point to make. Sure. So I, I I think overall that's another thing like you said we could do three hours on it but yeah. I, I, I I I think overall offensive play callers just do a better job of getting their backup quarterbacks in rhythm now and there's a concerted effort to ensure that the quarterback's going to be comfortable and once they've settled in the playbook which is also crafted to the quarterback opens up and I I think you saw a really good example of that in Browning's start against the Jags last Monday night where it started out, it was a ton of just easy rhythm, short throws, one read. And then as he got comfortable, you started to see the downfield stuff open up and and he settled in and, and had a really nice game. So there's obviously a ceiling on what Flacco and Browning can offer, but they can clearly win a game and keep their team in playoff contention, maybe help their teams make the playoffs. 
And I'm not picking them to win the Super Bowl. I probably wouldn't pick them to win a playoff game. But I don't think any team in the AFC right now wants to see either the Bengals or the Browns in round one. Or you could be like the Steelers and have Mitch Trubisky throw a backside fade on fourth and two. I mean, why wouldn't you? That's just, why wouldn't you? I mean, that's basic math. Because <laughs> if it's fourth and one, you'd, of course, you know, run it from shotgun. Yeah, just to, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Tush push it from the shotgun. Why not? Let's let's yeah. get innovative. All right, second down. Anyway. Yeah, speaking of quarterbacks who have uh, transcended their evaluations. All right, Brock Purdy. Let's have the conversation. Uh, yep. What system quarterback? I've heard. Okay. Check down merchant. Uh, what will Brock Purdy, 49ers quarterback, have to do to convince the most pros in the NFL right now? Check down merchant. Okay, dude, it's nuts. Every <laughs> so every metric. Uh, let me. Okay, here we go. We can we can do. Yeah. Uh, what does Brock Purdy have to do to convince the naysayers that he's more than a system quarterback? Yeah, I teed you up for this. Uh, win a Super Bowl because some people only measure true quarterback success in terms of Super Bowls. Yeah. Uh, and so many are still calling him a system quarterback, though it's very clear that no quarterback has run Kyle Shanahan's system to this level since the aforementioned Matt Ryan in 2016. Jimmy Garoppolo did not do this. Trey Lance, who the 49ers mortgage to farm to select the draft, did not do this. That's why he's in Dallas now. But Purdy has a very specific ability to make downfield throws with accuracy and anticipation that has unlocked the third level of Shanahan's offense in ways that even Matt Ryan didn't. And it happens often enough as beyond the people coaching him and the players around him. Does he have the best offensive line in the NFL in Shanahan? Yes. Does he have a huddle that's dripping with all pros? Sure. But Purdy has transcended his own positive environment enough to make him a legitimate top five NFL quarterback, I will say it, and an MVP wow. candidate, I will absolutely say it. That said, nothing he does will quell the naysayers until he hosts, hoists the Lombardi Trophy. In the meantime, the rest of us can enjoy Mozart the way it should be played. Um, you ask Purdy's coaches and teammates, and they'll tell you exactly what Purdy has brought to the team. I'm sure you saw Trent Williams' three-minute-long uh, speech after the Seahawks game of why Purdy is not a system quarterback. So I'm thinking to myself, well, let's see. If I can believe one guy who's watched two minutes of Brock Purdy on YouTube or the greatest left tackle in the game, and maybe the greatest of his generation. Who am I going to go with here? I'm still, I'm still kind of mulling that over. Yeah, and it's not, it's, it's clearly not an instance of Trent Williams just backing his guy. It's not no. everybody's watching Brock Purdy going, oof. There's a lot of no. very smart people who are going, man, this guy can really play. And then you get Trent Williams, who's yeah. like, man, hey, this guy can really play, and that that matters. You know who loves Brock Purdy? Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan yeah. loves this guy. 9.9 mm -hmm. yards per attempt is outrageous. He said after like pretty second or third start, I, I remember writing an article about this. You, uh, you're down there, so you probably remember, mm -hmm. you know, what's the difference from Garoppolo? And the first thing Shanahan said he couldn't wait to say is that we can go down the field over the middle more yeah. or, or at all. Because with Garoppolo, if the middle of the field was closed, it was closed. It was like yep. blockbuster video closed. Yep. Purdy, doesn't have the, he, he's just a different guy. Yeah. Totally, totally different players unlocked aspects of the offense. And you and I had this discussion after week three where he missed a bunch of deep throws against the Rams. I think he missed like three of them pretty bad, like open throws. And that's Giants the, and week two, Rams and week, it was two bad games. Yeah. And those, the, the, that's what's impressed me the most. Yes. Rams week two, Giants week three. That's right. Uh, but that's what's impressed me the most about Brock Purdy is just how much better he's gotten over the course of this season. I mean, not to mention mm -hmm. last season. And it's a still yeah. a, you know, relatively short sample size over the scope of a, of a full career. So uh, I think it's a great question and a, and a great answer by you. Um, there's definitely fewer naysayers now than there were, you know, 14 weeks ago. But uh, I think it's going to take sustained success where, okay, maybe they lose Debo Samuel, but 
Uh, Purdy's still putting up numbers, and you know Trent Williams retires, but there's Brock Purdy putting up numbers. Because even if he wins a Super Bowl this year, it's going to be about how loaded the roster is. It's going to be look at how good right. the defense is, look at the offensive weapons. So I think those naysayers are, are going to be around until he's able to win games and be this efficient without Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, etc. It would have helped if he hadn't gone zero and three without Debo and Trent. Yeah, not a great that, argument that in his favor. That would have been helpful. Yeah, no doubt. But it's it, it's just kind of a, a, a silly premise. But some sports fans like need to see a guy. I do it alone before they really give him his flowers and it just doesn't with with purdy specifically i think most of the quote-unquote naysayers at this point there's people who don't watch that much or don't pay that close of attention um because it doesn't take like a super deep dive into film or you know analytics or anything you just look at counting stats and watch a, a handful of plays uh, to determine that purdy's way more than just a product of his environment uh, well, I talked to a lot of people who watch tape. I watch tape. Uh, we're all over here on the little island going, mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the guy. He can, he can play. Uh, if if anyone's out there, though, just here, still believes that Purdy's a check down merchant and, uh, and the Niners only thrive because of Yak, every number says that's wrong. Every eye test says that's wrong, but there's still people out there who are going to say it. They've had 20 starts to figure it out, and for me, if they're not there by now, they're just not going to get there. They don't want to get there. Probably the children of the people who said that Joe Montana was Bill Walsh's puppet. That that actually was a thing for a while. All right, let's move over to third down. Uh, so <laughs> here we go with the officials. Kind of. We we're, we're gonna, it's not even. It's not. This is not. It's not. No, it's not. So it's not the play we're all talking I mean, it about. Is, it, it's more the Chiefs than the officials. The the play we're all talking about here is the Chiefs touchdown against the Bills on Sunday that was negated. When wide receiver Kadarius Tony lined up offside, the one where where Travis Kelsey lateraled it back to him, it's unbelievable play. Patrick yeah. Mahomes lost it against yeah. the officials on the field, and then after the game, Mahomes went after the officials in his press conference. Andy Reid uh, did the same thing. They were both very forward in their in their post game pressers, uh, talking about the officiating in that game. It was very clear that Tony was offside, and not even by like a toenail. He was way he was offside. offside. He was so offside that the official, the 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 judge, who couldn't see the ball. That's that's too far offside. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's let's assume for I, I mean maybe he was, but who who do you think Patrick Mahomes was really yelling at? Was it the officials or somebody else? I think it was 2% the officials and 98% his receivers, his offensive tackles, offensive coordinator Matt Nagy, possibly Reed and his entire yeah. season. I get that Mahomes is frustrated with the play, but Mahomes is also smart enough to know that Tony was a good yard offside. And his, the All-22 shows no attempt by Tony to check with the officials mm. to see if he was offside. And then Dan Orlovsky of ESPN Today pointed out four other instances in the same game where Tony was offside. He didn't check with the ref once oh, wow. to say, hey, am I offside? So uh, four or five plays, he never checked. And Reed came out and admitted today, yeah, he didn't check. That's a coaching point. Wow. So all that stuff I said was wrong. After all that. It was probably more about the missed pass interference call the week before, Brad Allen, who made worst of the week and Fordine territory last week. But it's really about Mahomes letting himself down at times. He hasn't played entirely well. His receivers barely being on the same page. His offensive tackles playing subpar football. An offense that doesn't present openings enough. They're all line up combos. You'd like to see more. And he can't go off on any of those guys publicly. Right. Not his receivers, not his tackles, not Matt Nagy, not even Andy Reid. He can't really go off on himself. He can't address any of these things in a public forum. I think this was a case of misdirected anger and frustration. 
if you gave Mahomes and Reed true serum, they'd tell you that Tony blew the opportunity and not for the first time this season, not in the first game this season. They'd probably talk far more about the other frustrations, but again, they can't. So they went off on the target that was easy and convenient as opposed to what the real problem is with this team. Yeah, that's how it seemed to me. It was it was really wild, though, seeing how dramatic Mahomes was on the sideline and yeah. not just one yell at the right. He was like he had to be held back by his team. That's why I think it was about far more than that. I totally agree. A bad call. You're shouting at the ref on the field and then you come back, you slam your helmet and you regroup that he I mean, was the not, the not the eye in the Packers game. That was the worst call I've seen in the last five years. Yeah. And he was totally chill about that yeah you know they let him play at the end of the game and da, 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 you know really fine with it but this one got him going it's, i mean he it, it it was nuts not just that but it's because it's patrick mahomes man yeah. like he's been the epitome of cool calm collected only needs 13 seconds to score in a, in a playoff game he's that guy and he's mm-hmm. he's losing it on the sideline like that um for a correct call it wasn't like this was a bad call. It was the right one. Yep. And he's berating the officials talking about how it's, you know, expletive this and expletive that. And like, no, it was, it was, it was right. Um, so to me, it's the because official, the official can, if, if the receiver checks with the official, the official can tell him right. and probably should tell him, but it's not an obligation. It's a judgment right. call. Right. And if the receiver never checks, then the officials no, under no obligation whatsoever. What's he going to do? Shout down the line of scrimmage. Hey, 19 back up. How do you think the bills would feel about that? Oh, like okay, now, now we have the officials helping the chiefs. So have, how do you think that would look? I have, I have something else on that, but, but real quick so, uh, to answer the question. So to me, Patrick Mahomes blew up because he's dealing with real NFL adversity for the first time after more than a half decade, which is like overwhelming success. There's been up and downs. There's been, they've struggled, you know, for short stretches, but this is a season full of man. They are trying to start the car and it is just not turning over. And they're in week 14 now. And they scored 17 points and it looked like they had a miracle touchdown and it got taken away. So, I think that outburst on Sunday was pent up anger at just a slew of mistakes on offense this year uh, that go beyond his control. I'm putting it at 0% the officials, 98.4% at his wide receivers. I did the hard math on this. 1% okay. at Matt Nagy and 0.6% at Jackson Mahomes. I think okay. he just kind of harbors ill will toward toward him at, at, at all times. That's right. I, I think it's, it's, it's at least 10% Matt Nagy. Right? <laughs> okay, that's fair. Uh, here's, here's my, I read your math and I got a lot more naggy. Okay. Okay. That's fair. I'll, I'll, I'll rerun the numbers. Uh, (laughs) the, the thing that was, that was crazy to me with, with that whole play is I, I understand the rule of cool, right? Pick up a, pick up a flag if it looks cool or Hey, maybe don't, don't call it if it looks cool. Ref throws the flag on that. As soon as the ball is snapped. So flags out. If the play happens there and the ref then goes, ah, you know what? We're picking it up. He, we, there's no foul for offsides. And then you go to the replay and he's clearly offsides. That is a way worse outcome for the officials, for the league. Mm-hmm. And honestly, Frank, in my opinion, for the game. So that's yeah. where I land on it. You mean like John Hussey picked up two holding penalties on Dallas Cowboy touchdowns on Sunday night? That was wild. Yeah. I, that's rare to see. John Hussey is Jeff Triplett and aficionados of officiating will know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. Let's get to fourth down here. As always, we'll finish it up on a low note, Doug. What was your worst of the week for week 14? 
It's not officiating. Let's go. Come on. It's something even dumber and worse and really bad. Yeah. Uh, three examples of the NFL not giving a good damn about head trauma. Where have we heard this before 5,000 times? So Steelers edge rusher TJ Watt suffered more than one big hit against the Patriots last Thursday, and it appears that heaven and earth was moved to ensure that Watt returned to play. This despite after a trip to the medical tent, Watt was appear, he appeared to have sensitivity to light, which is a symptom of head trauma, folks. And the team added a black visor to his face mask, and then they put him back on the field. They did not test him for a concussion. They only put him in concussion protocol the day after the game. Uh, and then with 619 left in the first half of Sunday's game between the Colts and the Bengals, Colts quarterback Gardner Minshew scrambled to his right and was scrambled near the sideline. Minshew got up as if he'd been shot in a Western, but nobody did anything about it. The Colts called six straight handoffs to running back Zach Moss after that play kind of suspicious. And then Minshew threw a two-yard touchdown pass to tight end Mo Cox. Good for him. He probably doesn't remember it. After the game, Colts head coach Shane Steichen said that as far as he knew, Minshew was never checked for a concussion. Where are these alleged independent neurologists who are supposed to buzz down and help teams identify these issues? Are they in the snack bar? No idea. And then there's Derek Carr of the Saints. The only thing more dangerous than letting a player return to or stay in a game after head trauma is letting a player return to the field after multiple concussions in a short period of time. Carr had two concussions in a three-week stretch, and the Saints started him against the Panthers. I thought that Troy Aikman and Steve Young taught us a few lessons about this. I guess we can be relieved that the Texans got C.J. Stroud off the field and in the protocol after he hit his head hard uh, against the Jets, but that's where we are, Kyle. We are, we are congratulating teams for doing the stuff that every team is supposed to do, a lot of teams don't, and the NFL doesn't really care about. If you think, you know, no, no repercussions will happen from this. Well, we just missed it. We'll do better. It feels like a lot of the focus on the head trauma stuff got, I, for lack of a better term, relaxed after the Dolphins situation last year. Which, where, yeah, where you had over and over, they missed concussions on Tua. Yeah, right, and. So Tua goes out, and then oh, Teddy Bridgewater goes out with a concussion, and now they're starting Skylar Thompson in a in a playoff game. And there have been so many instances this year of it felt like in the last couple of years, every time a player even wobbled, it was oh, he's off the field. They're they're checking him out. And this year, I mean, you just cited three examples from this week, and we could go find more. Sure, it, it's I I don't understand what the league is doing. It feels like they're going backwards in in maybe the most important area of their of their sport and of, of litigating their sport so i don't i don't know what to say other than they're they're botching this big time i mean i'm watching what he's when i wrote the article about it i'm watching what and he's like really squinting he's ob- in obvious pain as they're fitting you know this isn't the hunger games <laughs> i know man i mean it kind of honestly is but it's not supposed to be crazy anyway anyways yeah uh i'm okay, gonna go here you go on a lighter note Shout out to my mom and dad, as well as my mother and father-in-law, who were in attendance for Raiders Vikings at Allegiant oh. Stadium in Las Vegas. Took oh, a wow. family trip down to Vegas, Brutal. hung out, went to some shows, went to enjoy a football game. Mother-in-law's a big Vikings fan. Dad and father-in-law, big big Raider fans. Mom, Niners didn't ticket holder along for the ride. Watch the Niner game on her phone instead. Uh, mm. And why not? So this Vikings-Raiders game, if you missed it. Good for you, first of all. Uh, but the Vikings won 3-0 on a Greg Joseph field goal with two minutes left in the game. 
I hate him. So- I, I was so I don't hate Greg Joseph, obviously, but I was very upset. Just anti Greg Joe. Nothing, nothing game since 1943. We were so close. We were so close. Uh, Look, uh, here, and here's my here's my thing with this. I'm not anti low scoring game. I'm not. Defense should matter. And when dominant defenses are shutting down modern offenses in the same game, it is so much fun to watch. I'm one of those people, that, like the Patriots Rams Super Bowl after the 2018 season. I was in. Loved it. Super fun. However, uh, what we saw in Las Vegas on Sunday was not a pair of dominant defenses at the peak of their power, shutting down good offenses. It was two offenses that looked like the fourth quarter of the last preseason game, uh, but for like all 60 minutes. And mm-hmm. there's like an effort level in there that that also makes it like a little bit more sad. Uh, so it, just a couple of notes from this game. There were as many turnovers as points. The teams want to combine 11 of 34 on third down and racked up a combined 433 yards on 124 plays. That's a whopping three and a half yards per play for those of you trying to work out that math in your head, which is a very, very bad number. Uh, Also, the Raiders had the same number of punts as they did first downs. They got eight first downs and punted eight times. That's not good. A truly abominable display of NFL football from both teams. Uh, thankfully, though, the Raiders are virtually out of contention. Uh, but the league will be worse off if the Vikings somehow sneak into the wild card. I just that that's not a good team without with without Kirk Cousins and without Justin Jefferson, uh, who you know hoping for the best for him with his chest injury. Nice uh, hospital ball from Josh Dobbs. Man, just brutal, man. Um, the the Vikings are a disaster. Over his head and over the middle. No. Yeah, why not? Just fire away. So. Uh, they're a disaster, and I can tell you this from experience: Nick Mullins is not going to save them. So, no. um, yeah, worst of the week was our was our three nothing ball game. In part because I'm with you, I was like, "Hey, give me that zero zero OT, baby." I wanted yeah. it so bad. It's not like they would have scored an OT either. It's going to be a zero zero tie. Come on, we were so close. We were so real. Close. Although the Vikings do have a top five defense, and Brian Flores is scheming it up something fierce. And their linebacker Ivan Pace, undrafted from Cincinnati because mm. he's small, mm. he's that guy is ridiculous. Someday like, teams yeah. are going to learn that undersized linebackers aren't bad. Right around the time to learn that undersized defensive tackles aren't that bad. As if Aaron Donald and Geno Atkins and John Randall and like 26 other guys wouldn't hmm. do that. Weird. Hmm. Bunch of great Go players there. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for four down territory this week. Uh, Doug, thanks for hanging out. I can't wait to talk uh, more football as we race toward the finish line. On the yes. 2022, 2023, oh my God, 2023. As we race yeah. toward the finish line in the 2023. Saturday game, too. It's, it's, it's all just chaos. I can't wait. Uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks.